You're listening to Storytime with the Muggo. Today, Southwestern, Chapter 7, The First Day. My hand reflexively smacked the top of the alarm clock, successfully ending the persistent beeping. Two seconds later, I was on the floor, knocking out my 30 push-ups. Fifteen seconds later, Ricky did the same. By six o'clock, we were sitting in the corner booth at the diner. Coffee, oatmeal, a small cup of fruit. Deb recognized us from the day before, so we let her in on the plan. We'd be in for breakfast every morning throughout the summer. The crowd in the diner was always pretty slim, so it seemed she appreciated the repeat business. We were silent for most of breakfast. Ricky was looking over his map while I was reading through the script one more time. Our nerves starting to fray. Here we go, said Ricky. This is it. Yep, I said lamely. I saw him scribbling something on his map. Where are you starting? Ricky pointed to a spot on the westernmost part of the map. I'll start here on Mangum Street and work my way back toward 47. I figure it'll take me at least a week to cover this area. He traced the neighborhood streets with his finger, showing just how many homes he'd scouted the day before. What about you? I peered at his map and found the spot I'd selected the day before. There, I said pointing at an intersection next to a railroad crossing. We both fell silent for a few more minutes, waiting for 6.30. We decided the day before that the goal was to get to the diner by 5.45, wrapping up no later than 6.30 to get to our respective launch points. The edict from Andrew was to put knuckles on doors at 7 o'clock sharp. I checked my $6 watch, bought specifically for this trip, for the 50th time. Twelve more minutes. At that, Ricky stood up. I gotta go take care of some business. He may have used more colorful language here, but for the purposes of this story, I'll just leave it at that. He headed toward the front of the restaurant and took a hard left before getting to the cash register, disappearing into the restroom for the next ten minutes. This would become an essential part of his daily routine. While I waited, I checked my gear. At the sales conference, each student was issued an over-the-shoulder bag containing a slew of demo books, a few laminated charts detailing finance options, an antiquated credit card carbon copy imprinter, yeah, like real, real thing, and our selling log, affectionately referred to as the slog, among other things. There was a small pouch on the side of the bag for a water bottle and an inside pocket where a couple of sandwiches could be packed. The bag weighed around 15 pounds, so it was suggested that we switch shoulders every hour to make sure we didn't develop a strange limp. These people really cared about us, didn't they? I flipped through the demo book while mouthing the sales pitch. I'd practiced this speech no less than a hundred times. The demo book opened to the exact page every time. The book's binding had memory and knew where I wanted to go. I got through the entire spiel twice before Ricky got back to the table. I decided I ought to empty my bladder before the long day as well. The restroom situation out on the streets would prove to be a bit of a challenge later in the summer. We both pulled out of the lot and headed the same direction for a few blocks before Ricky pulled into the right turn lane and disappeared over a bridge. I kept heading south another 15 minutes to my spot. I parked the car and checked my watch. I had 8 minutes to kill. I could feel the anxiety rising within. It was a mix of excitement and nerves, with a dash of panic thrown in just to keep me feeling uneasy. 
for the first time, I wondered if people would be awake. Then, I worried about whether or not I'd be interrupting breakfast. Didn't it make more sense to start at 8 a.m. instead, I asked myself. But it didn't. At the sales conference, one of the speakers took a deep dive into the mathematics behind selling door-to-door. For every one yes, we would get a no an average of 30 times. So the only way to make this worthwhile was to knock on as many doors as possible. 80 per day was the goal. Three hard sales was the goal. 7 o'clock in the morning to 9 o'clock at night, at least. 14-hour days were encouraged. 15-hour days were celebrated. 16-hour days, while rare, basically got you God status from the higher-ups. As a quick aside, 14 hours, 14 hour days, 6 days a week, that's 84 hours per week. The program was set up for 13 weeks of selling and 1 week of delivering. If you remember from Chapter 1, my buddy Travis convinced me to join him for the summer, saying that their average earnings was about $8,000. Do the math, all that adds up to about $6.80 per hour. Yikes. Anyway, before I could think about all that, I had to knock on the first door. The first house was situated no more than 50 feet from a pair of train tracks. I could see some toys in the yard, a solid sign that the home had school-aged kids living there. It feels creepy to say that and slash write that, but the trainers encouraged us to investigate these houses the best we could. If you saw MCPTs, you were in luck. Multicolored playthings, since I know you're wondering. Anyway, house number one had MCPTs. I checked my watch one last time and got out of the car. I was so nervous I was fighting off nausea. At the front of the house, I climbed up the steps and knocked on the door. Two steps back, face the house next door, look impressive. I waited 30 seconds. Nothing. I knocked again. This time, chaos inside. A few small dogs from the sound of it. Yappers. That term, too, came from sales boot camp. I would develop an undying hatred for yappers that summer. Just going to say this, if you have a dog that weighs less than 10 pounds and it barks at anything that moves, you and I cannot be friends. It's not you, it's your dog. The blinds in the window to the left began shaking and swaying wildly. The dog sounded angry. Then again, so did the owner. I heard multiple profanities hurled at the dogs, at which point my nerves went from frayed to completely shredded. Then, everything fell silent. No barking, no yelling, just the ambient sounds of the adjacent road. I took a deep breath, my lungs quivering as the air rushed back out. For a split second, I felt this intense urge to cry, almost to the point of nausea. I still cannot understand that feeling, but it stuck with me all these years. I can remember this moment like it happened an hour ago. It's strange how certain moments stick with you forever, isn't it? There was nothing traumatic about this moment. Nothing really all that memorable even happened. In fact, the door never opened. I waited about 30 seconds before knocking a third time, once again inciting these dogs into a full frenzy, and once again causing profanities and other insults directed at the appers. But the door never opened. And for whatever reason, I'll never forget that feeling. This was the first of maybe a half dozen memories, feelings really, from this trip that have been forever burned into my consciousness. We'll start exploring some of these in the the next few chapters because in some ways 
These experiences have been affecting me ever since. I took the hint. The owner wasn't going to open the door. In a way, I was thankful. I checked my watch. Three minutes after 7 o'clock. Well, only 13 hours, 57 minutes to go. Lord help me. Blue Diamond. <laughs>